let's get started this morning. If you want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, we are continuing the beginning of our series through the gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 1. So last week we said that the good news of Jesus Christ fulfills the Old Testament, is historically accurate, and is spiritually reliable. And we're going to, again this week, see some of those same themes again in verses 5 through 25 will be um, our main text this morning here in Luke chapter 1. So again, just to remind you, and, and maybe you remembered it this week, the good news of Jesus Christ fulfills the Old Testament, is historically accurate, and is spiritually reliable. We're going to see some of those things this morning. So Luke chapter 1, I invite you to read with me verses 5 through 25. Starting in verse 5, Luke says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just." to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So as we begin looking at these verses, um, we're just going to walk through this, um, this section that we've just read and, and point out a few things. Even as some of what we began with and ended in this section, talking about the barrenness of Elizabeth and talking about how she had conceived and the reproach among people was being taken away. Look back at how we started, and we see where Zechariah and Elizabeth come from, 
And again, look there in verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea. So once again, Luke is trying to tie all of these events in because these are actual events that happened. This is history that is taking place. And so he's telling you around the time of when this took place. He doesn't give us a specific year, but we can know when Herod was king of Judea. And we can know that Zechariah was a priest. He was a priest. And also, Elizabeth, his wife, was a daughter of Aaron. That meant that she was the daughter of a priest, that she was of the line of um, the priesthood for Israel. And so they're both Israelites. They're both families of priests. And Zechariah himself is a priest. And as they're described, verse 6, And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So these are not just priests, but priests who cared about God. Priests who did what God expected them to do, what God commanded them to do. Oftentimes when you read the Gospels, usually when you think of the Jewish leaders, who do you think about? You think of the Pharisees and and the scribes and all the people who Jesus is always in tension with, all the people oftentimes who Jesus is arguing with or who are trying to trap Jesus who are trying to say, Jesus, you really don't know what you're talking about. You're really not God. You're really not that important. We know what we're doing. We know what we're talking about. But, but there are people in Israel who were faithful to God during the time of Christ, right before Christ and during the time of Christ. And so don't think that all of Israel was messed up. There were people who understood God and understood God's expectations for their lives. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were a couple of these people, and they were both righteous before God. See, they weren't just righteous before men. They weren't just looking good in front of other people. They weren't just saying, look at how wonderful and awesome I am. They didn't just pray in front of people, but they prayed quietly to themselves in their own homes. Everything they did was not for show, even though we have Zechariah here, um, as it's described, serving in the temple and and getting this unique opportunity. Before we get there, notice there in verse 7, even though they were righteous before God, even though, as it says in verse 6, they walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Verse 7, but they had no child. And why did they have no child? They had no child because Elizabeth was barren. This means that it's not they had a child and the child died because, you know, that's what happened thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago, health wasn't as it is now, where you can expect a child to be born and to live and to grow up and to be alive for, you know, I don't even know what the life expectancy is anymore in America, but it's probably in the 70s now, if not, you know, maybe late 60s. I mean, which is crazy compared to what you have in this day and age. I mean, people had tons of children because some of them would die young. I mean, they die as infants. They die as toddlers. Things would happen, and parents would die quickly. And so just the fact that Elizabeth and Zechariah are old and still alive is something. But the fact of the matter is that even though they wanted a child, they were not able to. And this is what why he says, but they had no child. And it wasn't because they didn't try. It wasn't because they didn't want one. It wasn't because they had one and the child perished or died because he got sick. It was because God had not opened up the womb of Elizabeth. Now, just think for a moment. 
how difficult this would be. I, I pointed out there in verse 25, and you can read it again with me. Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when He looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Just imagine how faithful, doing everything that God expects you to do, and yet the one major blessing in life that you desire above all else is to have a child, to carry on the name, to have a child that you can love and put your time and effort into. They were not able to, to be those people. God did not open up her womb. They didn't have children. And it wasn't just the fact that they didn't get what they desired, but on top of that, other people would make fun of them. I mean, there, other people would look down on them. Other people would say, you are not able to have a child because there is something wrong with you. And there's probably something wrong with you spiritually. And that's why I think it's so important that Luke gives us this picture of the fact that this wasn't a sin, this wasn't punishment for sin as to why Elizabeth could not have a child. And sometimes we are left, you and I are left, with wondering, why is God not doing what we desire Him to do? Why, why is God not seemingly fulfilling the promises that we, we think He should? Why is God not acting in the ways? Why is He not holding up His end of the bargain, His end of the deal? Sometimes we think these things. Sometimes we think, these are the things that God should do for me because I am being obedient, because I'm being righteous, because, because I'm trying. You have all these other people out here who are doing whatever the world they want to do, living however they want to live. And here I am doing the right thing, and I'm still miserable. People are still making fun of me. I'm in, in their sight, unworthy and unholy and, and no good. And you have to think, Zechariah and Elizabeth maybe think to themselves, is there something that we're doing that is wrong? Is God punishing us for something? I mean, you have to think that that thought comes across their mind. Does that thought not come across your mind whenever something negative happens to you? I mean, that's just natural for us to go there. But the one thing that, that I, I want us to see, if we see nothing else this morning, is that God delights to fulfill His promises. And so we must be careful to know what His promises actually are. We must be careful to know who God really is and who He really has revealed Himself to be and not who we just want Him to be. And that's what's so amazing about what we have here is that God is fulfilling His promises. And He's, namely, as we said in the beginning, the good news of Jesus Christ begins with the fact that God is fulfilling the Old Testament. And so what we have, if you want to turn over to Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the English Old Testament. And what's so interesting is as I, as I make this point that God is beginning to do a work, 
to fulfill his promises, to fulfill the Old Testament. We see that he has promised this at the end of our Old Testament. The very last thing that is said is what Luke is careful to point out as the first thing in his gospel. And so he begins the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth talking about that God's going to do this, what now seems to be a miracle of opening up Elizabeth's womb. And who is this boy John going to be? And so in Malachi, just look in in chapter 4 at the end in verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And then it ends. And literally, you have absolutely no word from God that's recorded for us in Scripture, in our Bible, because, I mean, you know, if you look in your Bible, from Malachi, what happens after Malachi? Well, there's a blank page or two, and then it says New Testament, you know, probably in your Bible, right? And then there's the Gospel of Matthew. I mean, you could just as well put the Gospel of Luke here, because this is where Luke picks up the story. Because how we end is God, hundreds of years, so probably sometime in the 400s B.C., so probably 400 years, there's this time period where God has stopped speaking to His people, where God has stopped actively moving amongst His people. God has just ceased. He's stopped. He's made this promise, and He says, look, This day is coming. This day of the Lord is coming. And what is this day of the Lord? It's whenever I'm going to come. Look at Malachi, if you're still there, in chapter 3, verse 1. And notice he talks about who we know as John the Baptist and then who we know as Jesus Christ. But he calls them messengers. In Malachi chapter 3, says, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord." Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. What you have is Malachi prophesying and saying, look, and maybe Malachi knew this, maybe he didn't. But this is the last, these are the last words that we have in the Old Testament. And God makes these promises through the prophet Malachi. And he says, there's coming a day, this day of the Lord. And I'm going to send someone to prepare for when the Lord comes, when I come. He says, I'm going to Send a messenger who will prepare the way before me. So God says, I myself am going to come. I am going to come, but before I come, there's someone who's going to prepare. And this is why Luke begins the gospel in the way that he does. And this is why it's so important for us to realize that even when we see in our story in Luke chapter 1 that God is kind to Elizabeth and Zechariah by giving them a son, He's not just kind in giving them a son, but he is, he is kind enough to give them a son who is going to be the fulfillment of that prophecy in Malachi. How the Old Testament ends 
is where Luke picks up, and it's such an amazing blessing to Zechariah and Elizabeth, who for years and years and years, to be told that you're advanced in years means you're pretty old. I mean, when the, old, when, when the Bible says you're advanced in years, it means you're old. It, it means death is not too far, you know, the, there's only so many years that you have left. And God is so kind to them, and He fulfills His promise to bring this messenger. And that's what I want to see whenever we read the angel and his description. is not just that He's giving them a son, not just that He has heard the prayer of Zechariah and Elizabeth for a son, but that He has heard their prayer for God to work once again through His people. For God to begin to see that day of the Lord that He has promised to come to be fulfilled. Look at verse 8 in our text in Luke chapter 1. It says, Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Okay, so here's some of where we have history and history of the priesthood, history of the Jewish people. So Zechariah being a priest, and you know, you can fall asleep, that's fine, um, as I explain this. Luke, or sorry, Zechariah being a priest, priests were broken up basically into 24 divisions, and that's why it was mentioned what division Zechariah was from. And so what they did is they came to the temple in Jerusalem twice a year to serve, basically for a week, to serve at the temple. And as they served at the temple, there was usually a morning and an evening sacrifice every day. And so there would be a priest from that division that was serving that week who would be chosen for each morning and each evening of every day to go and burn behind the curtain in the temple and offer incense to God. And so there would only be one man, only one man, one priest who would go behind that curtain and offer incense. And typically, as it's understood through Jewish literature, if you were called to do that, you would only do it once in your life because there were thousands and thousands of priests. And so there, there wasn't uh, an opportunity for you to do it every single year because there were thousands in your division. And so you had to sort of share. And so if you were called to do that, that was such a blessing and an opportunity for you that didn't come around every time. And notice how it says there in verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So, so just a, a couple things to point out here. God works in mysterious ways, right? We've all heard that. But God uses chance sometimes for His purposes, that sometimes things aren't really chance. Sometimes He has a purpose behind them. And this is some of what we get with maybe why Elizabeth was barren also. Think back to other people in the Old Testament and how when you're reading this, especially if you're a Jew, but even for us as Christians and some of us, many of us growing up in church, you might remember the stories of even Abraham, the father of the Jews, 
How old was he and how old was Sarah or Sarai whenever she got pregnant? She was like 90, which was advanced in years, old. I mean, they lived a little bit longer back in that day, but that was still pretty old. And so God gave her Isaac as a miracle, right? As Sarah's womb was closed for 90 years, and then God did a miracle to open it up. And then you have maybe in 1 Samuel, you have Samuel, the great prophet. And 1 Samuel 1, you have Hannah. And what does she do? She prays, God, I've not been able to have a son, and if you give me a son, I will give him to you. And you have God being gracious and answering her prayer. And you have this, this boy turning into this man, Samuel, who was great before God and one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament and served a very unique and, and purposeful function in the history of Israel. Maybe you think of Samson. Maybe not. <laughs> but, but his birth was similar to who we have here talking about John the Baptist and his birth. You had similar vows that were required, similar regulations that were expected, even from that were told by an angel to Samson's mother to say, look, he's going to be a Nazarite. Look, he's not, going to, he's not supposed to drink wine. He's not supposed to cut his hair, right? Remember that story is, you know, if we grew up, you know, learning about that. He's not supposed to do all these certain things. Because he is set apart for me to, to accomplish a particular purpose. You have many stories of God opening up someone's, a, a lady's womb, so that a particular person would be born from them to serve a particular purpose. This is one way in which God delights to work, is when. Things don't happen the way that we think they should. Those are opportunities for God to step in and say, this wasn't about you in the first place, but it's about me accomplishing my purposes. And so you have this, if you're just reading it allegedly by chance, the fact that Zechariah was chosen to enter the temple and burn incense. Right? And, and notice also, one of the things that we'll see as we go throughout the Gospel of Luke is that many events are centered around prayer and God answering prayer. So God delights to fulfill His promises, but He also delights to answer the prayers of His people. Verse 10 in Luke chapter 1, And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. So what's the reaction that someone has whenever an angel visits them? If you look in the Old Testament and you look in the New Testament, almost every time it's, this is not good. There's someone here before me who should not be here naturally, and he looks awesome. And I'm afraid that judgment is coming my way because something like this doesn't happen every day. And I'm kind of scared um, because I don't know if this is a good sign or a bad sign because this is not a normal sign. And so 
Normally, you have this reaction. Verse 12, And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Oh no, what have I done? Did I offer incense incorrectly? Did I not pray properly? Was I not supposed to be the one who came and served in the temple right now? What's going on? But the angel said to him, verse 13, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. So again, isn't it interesting that God is delighting to answer Zechariah's prayers? And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So this, all this despair and all this hopelessness that Zechariah and Elizabeth have felt for years and years, now is turning into the reproach that they felt among people. Now there is gladness and joy and rejoicing amongst not just Zechariah and Elizabeth, but for a multitude of people. Because God is dawning a new age. Something new is happening. And God has chosen to do this new thing, to begin this new work, to open up this new age in time, this New Testament, this new covenant by, by giving this priest and his wife a son. And this son is going to be a great guy. I mean, notice here, there's nothing that is written that Luke gives us that says John the Baptist was just okay or that John the Baptist was, was absolutely nothing or that he was nothing compared to Christ. What is said about him is that he is going to be great. He is going to do a work that I have waited hundreds of years to do. And he's going to be the one to do it, and he is going to be good at it. I'm going to give him success in doing it. He's going to be great. He's going to turn people's hearts back to me. People are going to begin again to serve me because of his preaching, because of his witness, because of his encouragement. He's going to be a guy who makes a difference and who's going to be remembered basically forever. I mean, what a thought. What an answer to prayer. And again, not just an answer to prayer, because I think if they were really righteous before God, Zechariah and Elizabeth, if they were really good, a good priest and a good priest's wife, that they wouldn't just care about themselves, but they would care about all of the people of Israel. They would care about what God was doing. And so he didn't, God didn't just answer their prayers that were personal and for them alone, but God answered the prayers of them for his people. And again, just notice that, that this long explanation of who this boy John is going to be and who he's going to turn into and what he is going to do is not just for Zechariah and Elizabeth. God doesn't answer our prayers just for us. God doesn't fulfill his promises just for us. God fulfills them for his people. And he fulfills them because he has promised that he would fulfill them. 
And notice how Zechariah responds to this. In verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if it's worse to call your wife old or advanced in years. He calls himself old and calls his wife advanced in years. How shall I know this? Give me a sign, is basically what he's saying. And this is not uncommon. You think about Abraham when God comes and says to him in Genesis chapter 15 and says, I know you're old and I know your wife's old, but, but she's going to bear you a son. I'm, I'm going to give you offspring. And Abraham or Abram, you know, says, how can, how can this be? How can I know that this is going to take place? Abraham asked for a sign himself. This is not an uncommon thing. I'm an old man. My wife has advanced in years. I'm putting two and two together, and, uh, you know, a child at our old age doesn't exactly make sense, angel man. And so the angel answered him, I'm not just angel man. I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, look, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. So notice that he does give him a sign. It's not exactly the sign that he wants. Not exactly the sign that he was expecting. I mean, you would think maybe that he would believe because this is an angel standing before him in a very unique place at a very unique time, you would think that he'd believe him just in and of the circumstances surrounding it. But, but Zechariah's eyes are more towards the physical. They're, they're not spiritually gauged in that moment. He says, I don't know. I'm not sure. And so the angel says, fine, I'll give you a sign. It's not going to be a good one for you. But there are worse ones that I could do. You know, I'm not going to strike you with leprosy and you know, I'm not going to put you in a wheelchair. I'm, you know, he's kind enough to say, well, I'm just going to not allow you to speak until the day that these things take place. Verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. What an interesting turn of events. See, the people were waiting for him, and typically when the people waited, there was a crowd. Maybe it was the priests, maybe it was other people who came, who lived in Jerusalem. Maybe it was people who were, pilgrim, who, who were pilgrims and, and were just visiting Jerusalem, and they would go to the temple to worship and to be a part of the morning and evening sacrifices. And they waited outside while that one priest went inside into the temple, and they waited outside and they prayed. And, and clearly, Zechariah took a lot more time than he was supposed to, than they were expecting. And they said, something strange is happening here. Normally, we don't have to pray this long. I don't, I don't know what else to pray. I ran out. Of, my normal prayer didn't suffice, and I ran out of prayer. And so, like, what happened? And they end up finding out, oh, he's seen a vision. And he couldn't exactly communicate it as well as he would have liked because he couldn't talk. But then he kept serving, and when his time, when his week was done, he went back to his house. Verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden. 
saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my, re my reproach among people. She kept herself hidden. Maybe she didn't, you know, for the first five months, oftentimes it's not very visible, physically visible, that a woman is pregnant. And maybe the neighbors would have thought if she'd have said something that, you know, no, this isn't really the case. You know, she's just throwing them for a loop. She's just trying to act like God likes her again because we know that God doesn't really like her because he hasn't given her a child yet and she's advanced in years. And maybe she didn't want to gloat about it. Maybe she didn't want to come out and say, look at how wonderful and awesome I am and look at the prophecy that was given to my husband about how wonderful our son's going to be compared to your son who's just a whole bunch of nothing and it's never going to be remembered. There's a humility that, that Elizabeth exhibits that I think we should appreciate. And, and, and I think maybe she's wondering to herself the way that in Luke chapter 2, Mary ponders these things to herself. Maybe Elizabeth spends this time thinking to herself, all these years I have been miserable. All these years I have not heard God answer my prayer, even though I have been faithful time and time again. But now, but now God, God has shown that He is faithful, and not just to me, but that He has been faithful to His Word in the Old Testament, and that He is fulfilling, He is beginning to fulfill His Word to His people. And I'm one of His people, and so I, I'm able to to be a part of what is happening now where God is bringing this new age, this age of salvation, this age of God stepping among His people personally, physically. And my son gets to be the one who proclaims that one who comes after him is, is greater than himself, that, that there is someone who is coming that they need to repent and get ready for because a new thing is happening unlike anything they've seen before. And God, like He does in the Old Testament, once again works miracles and does something that is completely unexpected in a time that we are able to look back and see exactly when these things took place and that these things weren't just to fulfill the promises of God that were for someone else, but they were to fulfill the promises of God that are also for us. And so, when you think about the fact that, that God, and maybe you struggle with the fact that God does delight to fulfill His promises because certain days, things don't go your way. Certain days, stuff happens to you to your family that you just think, this is, this is not how the world is supposed to be. And I think in those times, we are given stories like this in order to remind ourselves that, number one, life is not just about us. That God cares more about Himself than your feelings. God cares more about Himself than He does making you 
content with the circumstances of your life. Maybe he, he gives us those moments so that we can realize that God is more important than we are. That if we truly believe that this life is not about me and myself, that we can continue or begin to see that, that God has a plan and that God is fulfilling this plan, that God does care about us, but not because I've done something to show myself worthy, not because of what I've done, but because of His promises and what He does to fulfill those promises, what He has done through bringing this forerunner of His own Son, Jesus Christ, through beginning a work in this time. And so for us, this is a chance to think and to have a perspective that there's more to life than me. There's more to life than what I do and what I don't do. God has a vision that is much broader than just us. When we preach the gospel, it's easy to focus in on how, how is this gospel for you? How is this good news for you as an individual? How can you respond to this good news of Jesus Christ individually? And we can miss the whole point of this being a, a worldwide, a universe-wide proclamation of good news that when sin entered the world, junk happened, and, and our lives have been screwed up since. And, and this world is messed up. We, we are constantly in a battle fighting sin outside of ourselves, inside of our own selves, all around us. This world, there are things that happen that, that are not the way that they should be. And that God is doing something through Jesus Christ, that He has done something. He has begun a new work to show that He knows that this world is not right, but He hasn't left it to its own devices. He hasn't left it to figure it out on its own. He knew that he needed to step in and do something about it to fix this world in general. And that what he's beginning to do here, as we're told in Luke chapter 1, is he's beginning to do a work that is going to make all things new. That yes, he cares about you as an individual, but he cares about this world. He cares about nature. He cares about all the people who would come to know Him. He cares about all things. And so when we're inclined to think about why is God not answering me and my prayer? Why does it seem like God doesn't care about me? Remind yourself of the fact. I've got to remind myself of the fact that it's not about me. That even though I know that God cares for me as an individual, it's not just about me. I can know and receive the effects of the gospel, but these effects of the gospel are more widespread and more wide-ranging than sometimes I like to think or admit. And so I need to glory in the fact that God is bigger than my life. 
and that he's doing a work that encompasses all of history. And we are given his word to know that he has promised certain things and that he has fulfilled certain things. And as we are in the middle of this story, we're able to see that he is slowly building up where he has been silent for years and years. Now he has decided it is time to bring about the plan that he had all along. And we're able to know this plan. And so rejoice in the fact that we're able to know this plan. And the question that's left for us even this morning is, do you care about God's plan more than you care about your own plan for your life? Will you walk blamelessly before Him? Will you be righteous before Him even when the circumstances don't match up because you realize that we live in a world that is broken. But God has come into our hearts and said, I am beginning to make all things new, and I have made a new creation in you. And will you be busy about seeing that that is seen not just in your own life, but those around you, in your town, in your family, amongst your friends, where you work? Let's pray. God, I, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word. For those of us who have been and, and maybe still are in moments where we just, we are, we are not full of hope. We are, we are in despair, where we are in disbelief. In those areas of our lives, and maybe for some of us in our life overall, we haven't committed ourselves to you. We haven't made you the Lord that you really are and that you deserve to be. God, make it clear to us when we are being selfish. Make it clear to us when we are more consumed with our own selves than we are with your glory and your will. God, we want your will to be done not our own. And so we pray that your will would be done in our own lives, in our own hearts, in the lives of us as a church, in the lives of your people in this town and in the lives of your people in this world. God, continue to make new things happen. Continue to do a work to show that you are faithful to your promises, that you have fulfilled and are still fulfilling the promises that you have made in your word. And so we thank you that we can know those things. And I pray that you would give us the capability, the ability to, to respond accordingly in faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.